A book was published recently that contained a shocking thesis, namely that the first and second Jewish temples were not located on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but were situated instead in the ancient city of David, which was located south of the Temple Mount. So, what about it? Are all the archaeologists and historians wrong? And why is this important? It's because the third temple, the one that will exist during the tribulation, must be located where the previous temple stood. For some fascinating insights about this controversy, stay tuned for an interview with a world-class expert on the subject. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am blessed to have with me today a very special guest. His name is Dr. Randall Price. Welcome to Lamb and Lion Ministries and Christ in Prophecy. We're glad to have you, Randall. You know, Randall is very difficult to get a hold of because half the time he's in Israel. And uh, so we're glad that you're here today. Well, thank you. Yeah. Especially in God's country, Texas. Absolutely. <laughs> My country, too. Well, okay. So. Well, folks, uh, Randall is a dear friend of mine. He is an, e an expert in both Bible prophecy and the Hebrew heritage of Christianity. He is a professor at Liberty University in Virginia, where he serves as executive director of the Center for Judaic Studies. And in addition to all that, he is an archaeologist and a world-renowned expert on the Jewish temples. Here are two of the books that he has uh, uh, written. Uh, he's written a bunch of them. Uh, show that one over there, Randall, the, the temple. Yeah, Temple and Bible Prophecy, a definitive look at its past, present, and future. And you could use that as a doorstop. It's so thick. <laughs> and then what else you got there? Oh, this is absolutely fabulous. It's the Rose Guide to the Temple. Now, the reason it's called Rose is because it's the Rose Publishing Company. But it's beautifully illustrated throughout. It's just a fantastic uh, 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 guide to the Temple. And then tell them about this new one. This, this one I don't know about. This has just come out. We spent three years in, in Jerusalem. Uh, doing something that you cannot do if you go to the site. Uh, it's, it's actually forbidden by the Islamic authorities to speak about the Jewish temple on the site of the Jewish temple. And so because you can't do that through a tour, we spent uh, several years filming on the location, teaching all about the temples, teaching about the ministry of Jesus in the temple. And uh, then have done it in 360 degrees so a person can put this on their computer and they can do a virtual tour, actually going to all the places themselves, picking out the video clips, listening to things. And we've done this also for the Tabernacle down in, Sh uh, down in Shiloh and the Tabernacle model in Timna Park in Israel. So it's And how long does that run? run? Runs as long as you wanted to because okay. it's, it's, it's self-exploring, <laughs> so it can go on forever. And it's in several languages, isn't it? It's in uh, four languages: okay. English, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. Now, what is the name of your ministry? In addition to all the things you do, ministry is World of the Bible Ministries, okay. and we bring the world of the Bible to the Word of the Church. All right. And how can people get in touch with your ministry? Just look into that yeah, camera. Yeah, just uh, worldofthebible.com. That's the ministry website. All the information is there. So, World of the Bible. And they can find all of these resource materials? All the resources, a lot of free material they can yes. download very much. And a lot of good site. articles. Yes. Okay. Well, that's great. Now, uh, Randall, your invitation to be on this program was prompted by the publication of a book, this one right here, Temple by Robert Carnuke. 
uh, in this particular, in fact, uh, the thing that gets me is his uh, subtitle, Amazing New Discoveries That Change Everything About the Location of Solomon's Temple. And at the top it says, Could History Be So Stunningly Wrong? Well, what I want to do is I want to discuss this book with you. I want to present some of his arguments and have you respond to them. But first of all, I want to get everybody oriented to Jerusalem. Okay, and then we'll come back. Now, folks, what we have here is a bird's eye view of the walls of the old city of Jerusalem as they exist today. These are walls that were rebuilt by Suleiman the Magnificent back in the 1500s. This area is known as the Christian Quarter. This is the Armenian Quarter, the Arab Quarter, and all of this is the Jewish Quarter. There are many gates around the old city. The most magnificent one is the one up here called the Damascus Gate. But the one that is best known is this one marked in red here. And that is a gate that has several names. It's sometimes called the Beautiful Gate, the Golden Gate, the Eastern Gate. It's the only gate that leads directly into the uh, Temple Mount. This is what's called the Temple Mount. It's a trapezoid. And this is the location of the Dome of the Rock and many people believe was the location of the ancient Jewish temples. This right over here is what is called the Western Wall, or many people in the West call it the Wailing Wall. This is Mount Zion. This is the Mount of Olives. This is the Kidron Valley. And what is astounding to most people is to find out that the ancient city of David, the original Jebusite city of Jerusalem, was located to the south of here, not within these walls. It was just a tiny little finger of land like this. And the reason it was built here is because there were deep ravines on each side of it that gave a natural defense. That's what David conquered. And over the years as the Jewish village began to grow it went up this way on a slope called the Ophel up toward the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount being Mount Moriah. This is where the threshing floor was located according to archaeologists and historians. The floor that David bought for the situation of the temple. One other thing, and that is that the water supply was located here called the Gihon Spring, and that was the water supply of the ancient city. Now, with this in mind, let us return to our discussion with Randall Price. Okay, folks, now that we have the Temple Mound site in mind, Let's consider the arguments that Robert Carnock presents in behalf of his thesis that the Jewish temples were located in the ancient city of David and not on what is called today the Temple Mount. Now, Randall, the first argument he presents in the book was one that was astonishing to me because it, it can be disproved so easily, I think, and that is this. He said the temples were located in Zion. And Zion was the name of the city of David according to 2 Samuel 5, 7 which reads, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. Okay. Let me say first that none of the views in this book are new. Okay. Uh, back back uh, about 10 years before this, uh, Ernst Martin, now deceased, wrote a book called The T Temples That Jerusalem Forgot. And a lot of the information in his book is sourced from this book. Uh, same premise, though, that uh, when you talk about Zion being the city of David, therefore the temple should have been built in the city of David. Solomon well, was the successor to David. Problem is that we use the word Zion, Zion. Uh, in that very passage he cites, he says the strongholds or the fortress of David. That's what was captured from the Jebusites, and therefore uh, it was the place where the city began. But it didn't end there. The city continued to grow, as you told us in the map, went to the Ophel and then up uh, 
to the higher area. And the fact is, is that when we look in the scriptures, Zion uh, is considered Jerusalem as a whole. A passage like Isaiah 2 and verse 3 where it says, the law of the Lord will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Written long after David conquered that city. Right, yes. And the parallelism is that Zion and Jerusalem are one and the same. So it's a common term for Jerusalem. It is. So it encompasses not just the city of David, but also the larger Temple Mount. I hadn't had this on my list of, of allegations, but I, I want to pick up on something you mentioned about the book there. Uh, the title of it, The Temples That Jerusalem Forgot. How can people forget where their temples were located? Uh, well, this is a, a, a major argument in uh, these books, that uh, this was completely lost to history, that uh, is a fact, and now only rediscovered by people like this yes. in, in our time. The fact is that's just completely wrong. Uh, when you're talking about a sacred site, a place to which Jewish people pray three times a day, they've always been oriented toward that. Back in 1 Kings 8, Solomon said, pray toward this place. Yes. So we know that was always the case from the very beginning. And that place was not lost. Uh, e even when the first temple was destroyed, they knew exactly where to come back. And they said they rebuilt the second temple on the very place of the first temple. When the second temple was destroyed, we know that uh, they continued to reverence that site. The site was left barren purposely by the Romans and later by the Byzantine Roman Christians uh, because it was the site of the temple. And uh, people have prayed at that site for a thousand years. I, I've excavated... Uh, at the Kotel excavations just beside it and covered one of the eastern roads of the Cardo, which went right by the Temple Mount and yes. went, went there so that people could actually, in a sense, uh, mock uh, the temple uh, because it had been destroyed in a judgment of God against the Jewish people and that elevated some of their own beliefs. But beyond that, uh, you, you clearly have from the 2nd uh, century A.D., uh, 100s A.D., at the time of the Emperor Hadrian, he put a ban on Jews coming to the Temple Mount and said the closest they could get were the Mount of Olives. So they would come at the Tisha B'Av, the time of the commemoration of the destruction of the Temple, and bewail, and it says they looked at the ruins of the ancient Temple and cried about it. But you couldn't see those if they were down in the city of David. They had to be right in front of you. So, But throughout history, we have continued literary documents from communities knowing exactly where to return. In the 6th century AD, they came right to the Temple Mount under, under Julian. And, and there's even inscriptions on the wall there on the southwestern side that indicate that period. So over and over throughout history, no one forgot the location. No one forgot, right. All right, second argument. Jesus prophesied that the entire temple complex would be destroyed, and yet the retaining walls around the temple were not destroyed, whereas the city of David lies in complete ruins. Yeah. Well, first, there's no passage where Jesus said just that. That's right. Jesus uh, said that uh, not one stone would be left upon another that would not be torn down. And he and the disciples in Matthew 24, uh, 1 and 2, and in Mark 13, 1 and 2, where he talks about this, were leaving the, the temple complex. And the Greek term that's used, hieron, the term for the complex mm -hmm. itself. But whenever Jesus uses terms like destroy this temple in three days, yes. I'll build it up. He's speaking of the temple of his body, yes. we know. But that's the accusation they use against him concerning the, the temple. He uses the word there, naos, which is the word for the temple proper. Mm -hmm. Now, what Jesus was referring to anyway when he used the previous term was the temple and all of the walls and gates immediately around it, not the retaining walls, yes. which are not a building. Yes, that's right. That's something else entirely. And that whole platform remained. 
We also know that the term used by Philetus Josephus, the first century story that talks about in detail the destruction of the temple, he uses a term that only means a destruction down to ground level. Okay, that's all destruction through that. And in fact, it's very interesting, he uses the same term for the destruction of the Antonia Fortress. So their argument in this book is that the Antonia Fortress should remain standing, actually occupy the place of the Temple Mount today. Well, if they use that, that understanding, then they have to say they had no building left. It's not true. Uh, when they leveled the foundations, it was only down to ground level. They didn't dig up the foundations, they left them. And that was to show, of course, their conquest. And they wanted to be able to show that so that future generations would be able to say, see how impregnable these buildings were, and yet we conquered them. So Jesus was talking about the buildings on the Temple Mount. He wasn't talking yes. about the retaining walls that went around the mountain. No, absolutely not. Oh, okay. We know from other archaeological sites right. where they said they were completely destroyed yes. and the remains are there. So this is a parallel. Okay. Another argument, scriptures say a stream of water will flow from underneath the temple and it will go down to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea will come alive. And um, he says in here that uh, the Gihon Spring is located beneath the ancient city of David. So that must have been where the temple was for it to talk about water flowing out from underneath the temple. Yeah, well, first, there is a Gihon Spring down located in the city of David. Uh, you could not have got the water from there to a higher structure. There was no way to channel it up. But the passage he uses in Ezekiel 47 uh, relates to the Millennial Temple, the right. future temple. And the water will not just only it'll start un, from the, under the altar in the temple, it'll go all the way down to the Dead Sea. And, and that's why it becomes fresh in those days. And, but we know archaeologically and uh, historically there is a spring beneath the Dome of the Rock on the present-day Temple Mount. Uh, Char I mean, uh, Edward Robertson back in the 1840s uh, discovered this, uh, found it was about 80 feet below the Dome of the Rock. Uh, there have been publications talking about the historical eruptions of this spring throughout history. I know there was one in the 1990s. I actually went to look at it myself in which the water flooded the Dome of the Rock from this underground subterranean uh, spring. So he apparently knows nothing about this, but indeed that is on the location. Throughout the history of the Temple Mount, we, there have been 38 known cisterns that have been discovered. Only recently, LSU Cron and others found uh, right in the Tropian Valley that goes up in that central part, uh, the western part of the city, a, a huge reservoir from the first temple period. We know there was abundant water supplies. There was even later in the time of King Herod, uh, aqueducts that carried this from outside, what they call the Pools of Solomon, to the Temple Mount. There's no need even for a spring, and yet uh, that exists. Yes. but uh, the water was abundantly provided to that site. Well, my, my response to that would, would be, first of all, these scriptures he quote are clearly millennial scriptures that have to do with the millennial temple. And secondly, we know that when Jesus Christ returns, there's going to be an earthquake, the greatest earthquake in all of history. And the complete topography of Jerusalem is going to be changed. So a, a whole new spring could come forth at that time. But it certainly does not apply to the city of David because these are millennial Prophecies. That's right. Okay. And in the book, they don't make any particular uh, eschatological, prophetical yes. interpretation, so they can p take passages wherever they want. <laughs> That's convenient. It is. Okay. The Temple Mount was the Antonio Fortress where the Roman army was garrisoned. What about it? Well, the Antonio Fortress was a much smaller building. They make the entire uh, esplanade or platform today. Uh, have encompassed the Antonia Fortress with a, a 600 foot uh, two double bridges stretching down to the city of David. 
Now, you have to understand that one of their arguments in everything being completely destroyed is that's why we don't find any evidence of these things today in the city of David or the Ophel, any of these places. Uh, in fact, that, that's impossible. You can so completely destroy these things that nothing would be left. And the debris uh, was pushed over the side. Yes. Now, the Antonia Fortress, as I say, was also destroyed. Uh, it, it, it was, you know, a, a building that, that was built in 37 uh, uh, B.C. by Herod the Great. First thing he did when he came, he built it right over the Arca, which was a Hasmonean fortress that was there. So he built this to guard the area. But we know that uh, when you had the first Jewish revolt, the Jews actually slaughtered all the Romans there. They occupied that structure. And then Josephus tells us the Romans attacking from the north uh, took that uh, fortress first. And it says they, they had only a two-day siege, and they took the whole thing. And then it says that in seven days they leveled it. Okay. You can't have the huge structure with the, the tens of thousands of soldiers he talks about and have only a two-day siege and a seven-day destruction. So there, there's something quite wrong about this. Yes. Well, I, I would agree. Now, one of the major counter-arguments to this thesis relates to the size of the temple platform as it relates to the size of the city of David. And to me, it's the most convincing argument of all. Yeah. And it's, Explain it, what it's all about. In the book, it's very misleading because they've drawn pictures, but not to scale. Not to scale. And that's the problem. When you realize that the original temple platform built by Solomon was a 500 cubic square. Now, all the sources tell us That's this. about 800 feet, isn't it? 861 feet. Yes. All right. And then uh, when Herod came, he ha the there was a second temple built by Zerubbabel after the first was destroyed. And then Herod came and enlarged that. And in the enlargement, he put the temple right on that 500 square platform, but he enlarged it on both sides. So he put a, a huge area... Uh, in the south uh, to, to serve for uh, uh, part of troops. Then he put a, a larger area right in the, uh, I guess, the, the eastern side. Uh, we had the, what was called at the, at the southern end the court of the Gentiles. That was the largest of them all. Here he had a royal stoa, uh, colonnaded uh, structure going all the way around it to impress the Romans. That was the kind of thing he did to make the temple fit their world. And, and so he enlarged this. On the north side, he enlarged it a bit as well. If you go to the modern-day eastern uh, wall that's there, it's still on the same line from the original temple times. And you can see the additions. We have what's called the seam and the bend down on the... Uh, what happens end. if you take all that and put it in the city of David? Well, here's the problem. The five, just taking the 500 square cubit, okay, if you place that over the city of David, you, well, the city of David is basically gone. What we know is that. What was, <laughs> called, what was called Area G, where you have homes from the 10th century built after the time of David, well, they would have had to dug through the floor of the temple to build those houses, which is And the temple would extend out over the Kidron Valley, wouldn't it? Well, it would block the Kidron Valley, and then you have to have a whole dam to the north. And we have graves, uh, the tomb of the Judean kings. We have many other graves, all been excavated in that area, today called the Selwan Village. They would have extended over all of that as well. So it's just simply impossible to have it fit that size. Now, they make the argument it does fit, but it does not fit. Well, it fits in their drawings in the book because they don't draw it to scale. Right. And, and where would you put this trapezoid uh, platform that Herod had? It was enlarged. It had to go there on top of all of that. Simply impossible. Okay. Any other argument you want to mention about this book? Well, I think it's important 
there's a lot of literary sources that are brought out and uh, a lot of uh, pilgrim accounts and things like this. It needs to be understood that they're not always correctly citing the documents and not always correctly interpreting the documents. In other words, when they will say that a pilgrim is uh, looking down on the city of David, uh, he's not. He's actually going the opposite direction. Uh, we know that uh, they, they talk about the threshing floor and they act like that would be in the city of David. We talk from Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1, it tells us very clearly that, that Solomon began to build the temple on Mount Moriah, on the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite, which his father David had, had bought. And that, that tells us about it. Threshing floors were always outside the city. They were always generally on higher ground. But we do know when David took the ark out of the city to the place where it would be, it went, went up out of the city of Zion, out of the city of David. And clearly we have those designations constantly for where it's built. It's built on higher ground. Good points. Well, let's take a break and come back and talk about where you think the temple was actually located on the Temple Mount. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our interview with Dr. Randall Price, who is one of Christendom's most uh, important experts on the Jewish temples. Uh, Randall, I, I want to ask you where you believe the ancient temples were located on the Temple Mount. Uh, some say they were down at the Al-Aska Mosque. Some say they were, were the Dome of the Rock. Some say they're north of that. What do you say? Well, of course, what I believe isn't that important. What's important is the facts archaeologically that we have. Right. Uh, back in the 1960s and 70s, Benjamin Mazar uh, wrote this book. He was the uh, excavator. Of, the Mountain of the Lord. Right. He wrote this uh, dealing with the excavations related to the temple at the foot of the temple. Uh, as you may know, no one can actually do archaeological excavations on the Temple Mount because that's under the control of the Islamic Waqf. And uh, this Islamic trust uh, maintains it in a religious sense. So they don't want anyone for any purpose other than Islam to be there. So all the excavations have to be taking place outside of that. Now we do have the research of those who were there in the 1800s um, from the British who were able to do different types of works. And we have very uh, detailed mapping and, and archaeologic work that they were able to do. And then we also have, of course, historical documents that tell us things. But uh, in the last 10 years, uh, because the Muslims decided to build uh, in the place of what we call Solomon's Stables a new mosque. Underground. Uh -huh, this had 10,000 people. They excavated over 20,000 tons of archaeologically rich debris and they dumped it in the Kidron Valley. Well, the Israelis went and found it and said, you know, this stuff is, is full of, uh, of important stuff. So over the last 10 years, they have been sifting through this. I've worked at that site many times as well with many of my students. Uh, there's been over six, 7,000 coins discovered, with the ones that re revolt coins with the name of Holy Jerusalem on them. But they have found the tiles that were in the court of the women, which are discussed in the, uh, the Talmud, is what they looked like. Uh, they find inscriptions. They find the names of, of Jewish individuals, some connected with the Bible there. Uh, they find seals. They find all kind of things. Uh, and, there's, and all this directly came from the Temple Mount. There's no doubt. Now, if this was the Antorna Fortress or some other kind of place, you wouldn't have the had Muslims such did things. them a favor. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, even, even just just recently in the news has been the publication of a seal of Hezekiah. It was a bulle uh, that came actually discovered in 2010, and this through the sifting project they got it from the Ophel from Elat Mazar. By the way, I mentioned her book because she followed up her grandfather's work on the Temple Mount. So sources like this are from direct archaeological work and analysis of the site. And this uh, seal said Hezekiah, king of Judah. There's no doubt the period of time and where it came from. And again, that's not in David's city. Uh, this is in the Ophel, right in the area of the Temple Mount. Uh, as you put all the pieces together, and particularly, we were talking earlier in the program about, I think the last program, about uh, the, the different courts of the temple. We know that they were sort of arranged in a counterclockwise uh, size, the largest on the south, the next largest on the east, uh, the, the next uh, smallest then on the north, and then the west would have had the smallest. When we have a platform, and you can measure the platform, if you can find the 500 cubit square, and we can because of certain key locations on the Temple Mount, and then you put uh, a temple there in relationship to these these courts we know, there's only one place it can go, and that's the central location right about where the Dome of the Rock is today. Uh, down through history, the rock within the dome has uh, been thought to be the pierced stone, stone to which pilgrims would go in the past, venerated as the place of the temple. Uh, Jewish history, without a doubt, has said that is the only place, the place where the Shekinah, the Shekinah, would dwell uh, when the Ark of the Covenant was installed there. There's even Dr. Lean Rittmeyer that believes that incised within a portion of that uh, stone was the place where the, it was a base created for the Ark of the Covenant itself, and it's still there, as well as uh, parts of the, re the, the retaining walls for the Holy of Holies. Uh, these kind of things, that kind of evidence, and then also the Muslims were, were digging on the Temple Mount, trying to lay some new electrical cable underground, and as they did, they revealed part of a wall. And while you can't excavate there, they did, and people photographed that. And from that, we now know this is a wall, especially with the pottery from it, from the first temple period around the time of Hezekiah. And that wall, because of some of the vessels relating to the laden of oil and things like this, is probably part of the house of oil, which was in the first temple. You can even place things now on the Temple Mount based on some of these discoveries. So I think uh, there is, a, as you mentioned, a northern location uh, championed one time by Asher Kaufman. Uh, but the problem there is you had the Bethsaida Valley that was, that was covered over. Uh, but at, at the time of the first temple, it would have fallen into it. So what you're saying basically is that you believe that the temple location, the first and second temples were located where the Dome of the Rock is today yes. in that area. Yes. Okay. Well, folks, uh, I'm sorry to say that our time is up. I have many other questions I would like to ask him, but we just don't have the time. I want to thank you, Randall, for being with us today. I appreciate you taking out from your very busy schedule. Folks, that's it. Till next week, same time, same place. Hope you'll be back with us. This is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Did you know that End Time Bible Prophecy focuses on Israel? And thus, if you want to understand what is going on in the world today and what is going to happen in the immediate future, you need to know what the Bible says about the Jewish people and their nation. 
Dr. Reagan's book, Israel and Bible Prophecy, Past, Present, and Future, presents a sweeping overview of what the Bible says about Israel and the Jewish people in the end times. The book looks first at four end-time prophecies fulfilled before the beginning of the 20th century, specifically the dispersion of the Jewish people worldwide, their persecution wherever they went, their miraculous preservation, and the desolation of their land. Then Dr. Reagan shifts his attention to the seven prophecies that were fulfilled in whole or in part during the 20th century. The regathering of the Jews to their homeland, the reestablishment of the state of Israel, the revival of the Hebrew language, the reclamation of the land of Israel, the resurgence of the Israeli military, the reoccupation of the city of Jerusalem, and the refocusing of world politics on Israel. Finally, Dr. Reagan concludes the book by focusing on the end-time prophecies yet to be fulfilled among the Jewish people. The book can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. And as a bonus, we will send you a complimentary copy of one of our most popular video albums titled The End-Time Focus on Israel. Both the book and the video can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including shipping. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.